Coming up this evening, live from New York City. President Biden tested positive for COVID today, but he assures Americans he's doing well and getting work done. The European Central Bank raising interest rates for the first time in over a decade, reversing years of loose monetary policy. HSBC Bank could be the first foreign lender to directly employ members of the Chinese Communist Party. What does it mean for the bank going forward? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. First, a quick update on President Biden, who tested positive for COVID this morning. He posted a video on Twitter saying he's doing well. The White House COVID response coordinator also confirmed that the president is in good condition. Hey folks, guess you heard. This morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild. And, uh, and I really appreciate your inquiries and your concerns. But I'm doing well. I'm getting a lot of work done. I'm going to continue to get it done. Uh, he sounded great. I asked him, you know, Mr. President, how are you feeling? He said, I'm feeling fine. The White House says the president has begun taking Paxlovid to help with his symptoms. He will isolate at the White House until he tests negative, per White House protocol. His spokesperson says he will continue to carry out all of his duties from his residence, including planned meetings via phone or Zoom. Turning to Europe, the European Central Bank has finally raised rates. It surprised markets today with a bigger-than-forecast increase. The benchmark rate goes up by half a percentage point, or twice what had been expected. That was the ECB's first increase in 11 years and follows moves by other major central banks. President Christine Lagarde says soaring inflation left no option. The most precious good that we can deliver and that we have to deliver is price stability. So we have to bring inflation down to 2% in the medium term. That is, uh, that is the imperative under the treaty, that is the strategy review objective that we have set for ourselves, and it's, it's, it's time to deliver. The ECB has also promised further hikes, perhaps as soon as its next meeting in September. After the news, the euro gained around half a percent. Government bond yields and bank shares also jumped. One European economist says the ECB had to go big because of high inflation. When you look at the current situation, inflation rates are overshooting over the last month, or actually over the last year. Um, the looming recession in September, the window for the ECB to act and to act swiftly is closing very quickly. Thursday's move still leaves the ECB lagging its peers. The U.S. Federal Reserve last month lifted rates by three-quarters of a percentage point and signaled more to come. But the eurozone is more exposed to the war in Ukraine and a possible gas supply crisis. That leaves policymakers with a tough task. How to battle inflation without sparking a recession. Gas deliveries through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline from Russia to Europe have resumed. Europe can breathe a sigh of relief, as not getting that gas would be catastrophic for them. But the gas flows are well below the pipeline's full capacity. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. 
Russia resumed sending natural gas to Europe through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline on Thursday after it was shut down for 10 days because of maintenance. But the amount of gas Russia is sending is well below capacity. Russia is using its great power, too great a power that we have given to Russia, to blackmail Europe and Germany. German economy minister Robert Habeck says Russia is an uncertainty factor in their energy system. The European Union consumed around 412 billion cubic meters, or BCM, of natural gas in 2021, and Russia, mostly through pipelines, supplied around 38 percent of that. And Nord Stream 1 is the biggest, most important pipeline of all. Last year, it delivered 59.2 BCM, or 14 percent, of all of Europe's natural gas. What Russia is implementing is uh, measures that on the one hand show the European Union that its dependence on uh, Russian gas is very high, and on the other hand shows that they're willing to uh, provide a level of supply that at least doesn't uh, destroy the economy of the European Union. Daniel Lacaille is the chief economist of the Tresses hedge fund, as well as the author of The Energy World, is flat. Lacaille says the EU would face a severe crisis if Russia stopped sending natural gas. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Is another call between President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping on the horizon? Biden says he thinks he'll be talking to Xi within the next 10 days. He told reporters this as he returned from a climate-related trip to Massachusetts. The call between the two leaders would come four months after the last one. It would be at a crucial moment, given tensions over the status of Taiwan, and as the Biden administration weighs cutting import duties on goods from China. Biden did not elaborate on reasons for the call or what they plan to talk about. HSBC may be the first foreign lender to install a Chinese Communist Party committee and its investment banking subsidiary. HSBC Shanghai Securities recently established a CCP committee, according to the Financial Times. The committee is typically a group of three or more employees who are also members of the Chinese Communist Party. Having such a committee in a company in China is required by law. But for foreign finance groups, it's not widely enforced. There are concerns about how having CCP members would affect HSBC's operations. But HSBC says that branches of the Chinese Communist Party within private companies in China have no influence on the running of the business. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about the CCP committee in HSBC is China expert David Zhang. He's the host of Epoch TV's China Insider. David, thanks for coming on. So there's a law in China that requires a CCP committee to be installed in your company. So first off, David, could you explain for us what exactly is a CCP committee? So these communist cells are basically the extension of Beijing, the extension of the Chinese Communist Party, and they can take in different names of different organizations, but their goals are all the same, which is to extend the control of the Chinese Communist Party into every sector of society. Now, these cells or these committees, what's the purpose of having that in a company? 
if you think about companies like HSBC or anything to do with banking in general, it's in my view to extend a tighter grip or a, a control aspect onto the company. Uh, it's to direct them to follow what the, the needs of the Chinese Communist Party really is and to further control uh, how the company develops and how things would fit into the grander plan of the CCP. And what is that plan? Can you be more specific of how the CCP wants to direct banks' uh, business operations? So if we look at the series of events recently, we know that there were banks in China that restricted withdrawals for the depositors. There were cases of the cash vanishing. So I think there's a really tight cash flow in China right now. And so having a tighter control of banking or banking sectors is a great way to ensure that money specifically stays in China and it's used for the purpose of internal circulation rather than it's being poured out by, for example, a house being bought in Florida or California. Now, HB, HSBC said that Chinese Communist Party committees within private companies in China have, quote, no influence on the running of the business. What's your reaction to that? I think it's a very, uh, very real situation because the Communist Party cells are branded as a uh, non-intervention or, or uh, these committees don't do anything to affect the affairs of the daily operations of the company. But when it comes down to the final decision, if that decision does not benefit the party in the end, uh, that decision is likely to be stopped by the Communist Party cell. A really good example of this is the Communist Party cells in universities. And uh, these are the cell party secretaries. They actually have a lot of say in the curriculums and the general teaching directions of the university when, in general, they would claim that they have no effects on the university itself, but they actually do. Okay, just one last thing, David. Now, the, th this decision by HSBC, is that going to have uh, an effect on other companies? Are other companies going to follow suit, do you think? I think you raise an important point, which is why HSBC out of everybody? Well, HSBC, the investment bank, is, is technically based in Hong Kong, and it has, it's not part of mainland China, right? But we know Hong Kong today is, is basically a part of China after what had happened in 2019. Now, domestic companies already have communist cells, and that's a given. But companies like Tesla or BlackRock were given this 100% foreign ownership uh, to welcome them into China. Now, if those companies also end up having communist cell, you can best bet that the Communist Party has been able to assert policies across the board, and that's going to change the future of what we know as investments in China. So I do think that this is a great indicator uh, to see where things go from this point. I see, I see. Well, David Zhang, host of China Insider, thanks for coming on. The latest events in the tech war with China. The U.S. is reportedly probing China's Huawei over equipment near U.S. missile silos. NTD's Sean Marshall has the details. The Biden administration is investigating Chinese telecom equipment maker Huawei, according to Reuters. It cited people familiar with the matter. There are concerns that the U.S. cell towers fitted with Huawei gear could capture sensitive information from military bases and missile silos that the company could then transmit to China. I asked cybersecurity expert Scott Schober how much of a threat Huawei is to Americans. If you look at just uh, Huawei, they're, they're the number one leader in cellular infrastructure equipment globally. They represent more than 30% of the infrastructure that's out there. And, and that's after U.S. sanctions started back in 2019 to remove and replace Huawei stuff. But they're still 
the leader. That tells you how big they were. Authorities are concerned Huawei could obtain sensitive data on military drills and the readiness status of bases and personnel via the equipment, an anonymous source said. Could also be handed off to state-sponsored hacking groups. We don't think about that often, but oftentimes there's going to be surveillance, collection of, of data that they perceive as a threat, and now they could use that to actually target specific things within the United States. The U.S. telecom regulator needs an additional $3 billion to fund the removal of U.S. networks of equipment made by Chinese telecom giants Huawei and ZTE, bringing the total cost to $4.9 billion. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Stocks ended higher today. The Dow added 162 points, or half a percent. The S&P gained 39 points, or 1 percent. And the Nasdaq rose 162 points, or 1 and 4 tenths of a percent. Amazon is pushing further into healthcare. The company has agreed to buy One Life Healthcare, which operates 12 membership-based doctor's offices called One Medical in a number of states. It's a $3.9 billion deal. It adds to Amazon's growing list of ventures in the healthcare space, including Amazon Care and Amazon's pharmacy business. Tesla released last quarter earnings late yesterday. For the first time since early 2020, it did not report a record profit. Tesla blamed strict lockdowns in China for the falling profits. But the drop was smaller than expected, partly because it raised prices for its electric vehicles. Diane To reports. The EV maker reported a total revenue of $16.93 billion in the second quarter, down from $18.76 billion a quarter earlier. Chief executive Elon Musk said he expects inflation to start easing by end 2022 and most commodity prices to stabilize. On an earnings call, Musk dismissed the idea that global economic problems were hurting interest in Tesla, despite vehicle prices rising to what he called embarrassing levels. The U.S. price of Tesla's Model Y long-range version, now just shy of $66,000, is up more than 30 percent since the start of 2021. Musk insisted Tesla does not have a demand problem, but a production problem. Tesla's China factory ended the second quarter with a record monthly production level. Musk said new factories in Berlin and Texas aim to produce 5,000 cars a week by the end of the year. Chief Financial Officer Zachary Kirkhorn said Tesla was still pushing to reach 50% growth in deliveries this year. He added that while the target had become more difficult, quote, it remains possible with strong execution. Turning to the jobs market, fewer people are working part-time jobs. In fact, it's hit a 20-year low. The Labor Department says only about 2.2% of workers have a part-time gig. The reason? The tight labor market. Typically, there are twice as many unemployed people looking for work than there are job openings, which forces some job seekers to settle for part-time jobs when what they really want is a full-time position. But now it's almost the exact opposite. There are twice as many job openings as there are unemployed job seekers. Experts say whether it'll stay this way depends on if we get into a recession, where more full-time workers could get laid off, pushing people to get part-time jobs. While the job market is still hot, it's, it's showing signs of cracking. More Americans filed for jobless benefits last week. Actually, it's the highest in eight months. And unfortunately, some Ford workers will be adding to that number soon. The 
The automaker is expected to cut thousands of jobs this summer, according to the Wall Street Journal. More than 4,000 white-collar jobs will be eliminated. Ford has declined to comment on any plans to change staffing. The move is reportedly fueled by the automaker's efforts to beef up its electric vehicle production. Ford wants to get some 600,000 electric vehicles on the road by the end of next year. This round of cuts is expected to impact salaried employees working on gasoline and diesel-powered cars. That includes engineers, marketing and sales jobs. Factory workers are not expected to be impacted for now. Still to come, ranking of the world's most powerful passports. Find out which one provides hassle-free entry to the most countries. We spoke to a nonprofit dedicated to helping young adults with autism, training them for better job opportunities. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. School districts in some parts of the country are getting ready to welcome back students in just a few weeks. And for parents, that means back-to-school shopping amid historic inflation and recession fears. According to the National Retail Federation, spending is expected to match last year's record high of $37 billion. So how can parents get kids ready for back-to-school without breaking the bank? We have some tips. Scissors you have and glue. The back-to-school shopping season is underway, and parents are facing higher prices for just about everything on their list amid looming recession fears and inflation reaching a 41-year high. That's food prices, that's rent, and that's back-to-school uh, supplies. So everything's up a lot, and it's really biting into the purchasing power of uh, the typical family. Meanwhile, a new National Retail Federation survey found one third of consumers say they're spending less in other areas so they can pay for items their children need for school. Financial expert Julie Almataveras says it's good that parents are prioritizing items for school and has these three tips to save money. The first step is to make a budget and stick with it. Next, take it slow. Some parents make the mistake of buying too much before school starts, only to find out that their children don't actually need it. Don't worry about having a back to school haul. Don't worry about spending hundreds of dollars on clothes and hundreds of dollars of school supplies. Have a good understanding of what the needs are going to be for that semester or for that year and take it slowly. Also involve the kids. Taveras recommends giving them a set amount and letting them shop with you. That way it's a money lesson for them too forcing them to prioritize what they really need. Don't go too crazy with the stickers and the binders and all of those extra things because a really important part of financial power and also teaching generational wealth is having these conversations. Every year, 50,000 teens with autism reach adulthood. For many of them, that means unemployment and isolation from society. One Chicago nonprofit has dedicated itself 
to providing life skills training for young adults with autism, giving them better social and job opportunities. Here's the story. Chicago's Urban Autism Solutions, or UAS, is a nonprofit organization with the sole focus to help high school students with autism transition to adulthood. Heather Tarkson, executive director of UAS, said one of its programs, Growing Solutions Farm, aims to teach life skills to high school students with autism through urban farming. That our young adults are learning about urban agriculture, but they're also learning transferable job skills. Um, they're learning teamwork, um, graduating to more independent tasks. Um, they're learning a little bit about um, uh, showing up to work on time, in uniform, how to behave, uh, work-appropriate behaviors, particularly during breaks, um, those kinds of things that they're able to then parlay into uh, the workplace as they're getting ready to enter the workforce in um, their young adult years. More than 90% of the students in the program come from Chicago's West Side, an impoverished area with high crime rates. UAS's program is a free resource for students to learn a wide variety of skills. Uh, the students do everything from planting to watering, harvesting. Um, they're working with customers that come to the farm stand every Wednesday and Friday. Besides learning the tasks, working in a group creates an environment of team building and social interactions for the students whose social interaction skills are impaired. What helps really make it work is that our Chicago Public High School students are joined by their teachers and their teaching assistants who, in the case of the farm, for example, work side by side with their students and with our staff. So they're there's a real sort of camaraderie that is being built between the students, the teachers, and our team. After working on the farm, the students get to take home vegetables for free. UAS donates 20% of its produce back to the same community where the students come from. It sells the rest to wholesalers and customers at the farm stand on site. Ben Burton, who lives nearby, says the program benefits both the students and the community. One, to help the people who are putting it together because uh, they're learning and getting skills doing this. And two, I need the veggies. In addition to the Growing Solutions Farm Program, UAS also offers other programs providing the students with community integration and social interaction training. UAS has served more than a thousand students over the last 10 years. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. The latest ranking of the world's most powerful passports is out. And though you may feel like an American passport can get you anywhere in the world, it actually didn't top the list. And Titi's Philzo has a story. So how much travel power does your passport command? I am traveling to Europe very soon, so... The U.S. passport can get you into 186 countries hassle-free, meaning you don't need a visa to visit those countries, or you can simply get one on arrival. I was born in the States, but at a young age I moved to Israel, and then I moved to Canada, and so I got three citizenships by the time I was, I was 10. Being American can get you into many places, but that only got the U.S. seventh place in the latest Henley & Partners list of top passports, tying it with countries like Switzerland, Norway, and New Zealand. So which country took home the top prize? You know, Japan is such a 
country with lots of traditions. How about the land of the rising sun? The Japanese passport tops the list for the fifth time in a row, getting its citizens into a whopping 193 countries hassle-free. I spoke to Maha Kikugawa, who's a Japanese entrepreneur taking full advantage of her passport, traveling to dozens of countries over the years. I am excited to go back to Paris. France because I really enjoy the art and history of France. Kikugawa is planning a 90-day trip around the world starting late August. Really soon, and I'll be remote working from there, so I'll keep the same job and everything, but I'll be able to travel more. Nuri Katz is the founder of Apex Capital Partners. He's in the business of helping people get a second citizenship. For people from countries where they have limited abilities to travel, the, the second citizenship gives them the ability to travel. Katz has helped over 3,000 clients internationally get a second citizenship, but it's usually going to cost you starting at $100,000. Depending on the size of the family or the type of investments, it can go up from there. Some investments can be made for real estate, and that can go into the millions. Singapore and South Korea tie for second place, and Germany and Spain tie for third. Phil Zhou, NTD News. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. And also, if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at NTD.com. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.